Hello, I'm Kirsty Rice and welcome to Season 3, Episode 8 of The Two Fat Expats. And why are we fat? Well, because we overeat. No, I'm joking, I'm joking. It's because this podcast is about living a fat expat life. It's about making the most of it and filling your expat life to the brim. What's it like to be an American in the Middle East at the moment? Or what's it like to be from the Middle East and living in America? Today we're going to find out. I'm in Doha, Qatar this week and Nikki is into the fourth month of her expat move from Atlanta to Hamburg, Germany. We've tried really hard to not make this episode about the election. There's been enough chat about the election, but this one's more about after the election. And what does it feel like if you're an expat in one of these countries and you're left trying to explain your culture and the decisions of your country. We've got three fantastic interviews lined up and we can't wait for you to have a listen and to hear your thoughts. So should we just jump straight in? Let's go and say hello to serial expat, Nikki Moffat. Hello, Nikki Moffat. How are you? I'm fine, thank you, Kirsty Rice. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's a good day today. I have uh, just got off of doing Facebook Live, which wasn't as excruciating as I thought it was going to be. I did manage to catch a little bit of it, and I thought you looked very special. (laughs) And I was impressed with your makeup tips. (laughs) Um, But I also thought it was a lovely, a lovely thing that you did. Those who have listened to the podcast for a, a, a long time will know that we did an episode called Expat cancer and we actually did that just after I was diagnosed with breast cancer and we were looking at how cancer works for the expat and um you know what because you know like we always say put the word expat in front of anything and it changes everything and it certainly does even for cancer because you can end up doing what I did which is spreading your um treatment over two different countries and having to deal with two different types of doctors in two different countries. I had chemo in Australia and radio. No, other way around. No, well, I had both, but I ended up everywhere. We get the drift. <laughs> but when I did the interview, I it was suggested that I interview Emma, whose husband had been diagnosed with lymphoma, um, and she had she and he had been to, through the process together in Qatar. And she at the time for me, you can imagine, was fantastic to talk to because I was heading back to Qatar and she was very positive about the experience that they'd had there and how it had worked out for them and they'd been very happy with his treatment. And, you know, they went through it all and Emma and I ended up becoming friends because um, I really, really liked her and her husband is a middle-aged man in lycra, like my husband. A mammal. A mammal. And, you know, they came to the house for drinks. We had a little party. Um, she is friends of friends. You know, that sort of expat thing where you know the same people and sort of your lives intertwine. So I had seen that just recently um, he had gone, well, it was very, very recent. So we got through uh, Halloween and then the election, and I think it was on election night that Emma posted a picture saying, uh, you know, it's not all, uh, for some of you it's all about the election, but this guy's just fronting up for chemo again. And there was her husband going in, going back for chemo. And it turns out that the cancer has spread 
and it is now in his spine and uh, the prognosis isn't great and he has had to quit his job here and he's gone back to Australia because uh, one of the things, and I think it's a 10 to 20% chance of one of the things that could work for him would be to have um, stem cell treatment and he has to go back to Australia for that. Uh, so they're, um, you know, they're, they're in a battle of, uh, you know, getting packed up here and getting home. So, so I, he's gone. He's, he's gone. gone. She's, she's still there with yeah. the kids and the whole house. Yeah. And she's doing the shitty, shitty end of a move, that bit, you know, where you're, you're tying up all the loose ends. And the thing with Emma and Mike is they had only just moved into their house. They've been in their house for like two weeks. You know, they were really thinking they'd moved into this new house, that they were all settled here again, that they were clear and free, you know, to continue on. And then this happens. And so uh, she needs to get moved. She needs to, um, she needs a lovely, lovely moving company with a heart to help her out. So that's why I was on Facebook Live was... I was asking people if they had any contacts in the moving industry, if anyone worked for a moving company or they were married to someone or they knew someone, could they please uh, reach out and see if there was anything we could do to help Emma get a 20-foot container back from Qatar to Australia? Right. Well, and I think Dan is your man for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was funny, wasn't it? Everybody knew Dan the moving man from Allied. <laughs> so, yeah, we need to track someone down. But I'll put a little note out on Facebook after we've um, done recording so that I've got something written down as well. Um, yeah, so, so people yes. can comment on Yes. Now, what were, you, what were you out doing, Nikki? Oh, I was having coffee with some people. Oh. <laughs> um, and this is the thing I want to understand because you, you're often out having coffee with people. How do, you, how do you get to and from so quickly? Does everybody kind of live in the same area? Or so here, here's the thing. So we, um, the town people live, uh, so there's a bus, there's two buses that come into town and pick up the kids and take them out to school. And then about 75 to 85% of the people that go to the school live within sort of a two to three kilometer radius of the school. Right. And we live nine kilometers away, 8.7 kilometers or something. Right. So, but, but, but there is a bus and it has like six stops and they're all within, you know, a few hundred meters of each other kind of so everyone lives quite concentrated in these few little area where we live so what we're trying to do is meet new people in our area so there's a you know there's a facebook page for the school and there's lots of activities you can do but a lot of them revolve around drop off and pick up but if you're not dropping off or picking up then um it can be more difficult to get involved in the social side of things yeah. so we decided a little group of um, city mums, as townies, we call ourselves on a WhatsApp group. <laughs> well, someone started a WhatsApp group and called it Cool City Mums. I was like, yeah, I'm in. You'll need to change the O to a U, but okay, I'll, I'll come anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so we've just started sort of meeting once or twice a week for coffee in the morning after the bus goes, which is about 7.30. Um, so we just sort of front up to a local coffee shop, and it's a nice way to start the day and sort of to talk to other adults and that kind of stuff because yeah. also in English, which is because if you spend the rest of the day trying to negotiate your way around in 
in German or <laughs> it can be yeah. traumatic. <laughs> and and while you're all sitting in your coffee shop speaking in English, are there people around you going, oh, that's quite strange to hear a table full of people speaking English? Or are they, is it such a cosmopolitan international city that no one batters an eyelid? Um, I think where we live, it's quite a, a cosmopolitan place kind of but honestly when we're having coffee it's people coming in and out in and out there's not a lot of people sitting around because it's their morning before work so work starts sort of between 8 30 and 9 so we're kind of there while people are coming in to get their morning coffee on their way to work mm-hmm. so they might look at us and go look at those strange women who aren't going to work right now <laughs> <laughs> and is it a starbucks kind of city or is that a definite uncool definitely not no um i don't I think there is Starbucks, but uh, it's called Balzac, B-A-L-Z-A-C. Is that right? I don't know the proper pronunciation. It's not the other word. Don't say it. It's like Balzac to me. Yes, yes. I've never heard that before. Um, But that's, yeah, that's the kind of, and that's like a big chain. So you see that everywhere, kind of like Starbucks. Okay, so we're talking about after the election this week. Um, last week it was actually election, it was the election day, wasn't it? So for us, the timing, the timing was we had seen the announcement and then we basically recorded. So we knew who'd won, but we didn't really know what the aftermath was going to be. And I guess we, we really don't still know. We've only sort of seen what's the early days, the early aftermath, I guess. Yeah. So the thing is, is that although it's a U.S. election, it does impact the whole world because the U.S. is a, a world power. It's a world peacekeeper. It's a world uh, leader in a lot of things. So, I mean, I don't know about you, but every person I've spoken to in the last week has talked to me about the U.S. election. Yes, yes, absolutely. I think because it was polarising. I don't think that would have been the case had uh, Donald Trump not been running. I can't remember other American or US elections that caused this much hoo-ha. Yeah, people have said to me, you know, it does impact us, you know, even though we're not American, even though we don't live there. And that's why we care about it. Yeah, definitely. I think when you saw what happened in the Australian stock market after um, Trump won and everything crashed and, but I mean, everything very quickly rises. Only for a minute. Yes, only for a minute. Man, damn, (laughs) you had to be fast. But I I really think that it was far more polarising this time because, I mean, I've been away for other US elections and, do you know, I, I, I can't remember the same sort of conversation. I guess, too, for me, having children at an American school, um, and I asked someone, I asked a girlfriend this the other day, she has children at a British school here in the Middle East, and I said to her, are your children constantly talking about this election? And she said, no. And it wasn't it wasn't a thing for them. Whereas for my children, they have been speaking about it for a year, and um, the build up was so intense. They because I think in classrooms uh, in America, you know, they all they all vote, you know, and they have these mock elections, yes. and they have so much discussion, and they all know who the class would vote for. Um, I could never imagine that 
in Australia. Maybe it does happen no. in Australia. I've not had kids in Australia tonight, but it definitely didn't happen when I was a kid. And you wouldn't have had something so controversial. And and that's the thing. Like it is controversial, and it, it's just and but even um, so, in the school district that we left. The kindergartens and first graders voted between cats and dogs, so they didn't vote for the <laughs> for the president. They just sort of cast a vote for a cat or a dog. But from second grade up, I think that they basically they voted for Hillary or or Donald Trump. And I mean, that's such a crazy thing because then they were coming home telling their parents all these things that their friends said and didn't say. And I guess it brings up a lot of conversations. And I guess, as you say, this was quite a divisive election well i mean when we listen to matt later on you know the nuances of elections are specific but there were some quite straightforward things in this conversation in these in these elections and things that were on the news like i had friends who would turn off political ads when they came on because they were using words that they didn't want their children to hear and there were words coming right out of the candidate's mouth yeah yeah and you know i after the election here, just to because I mean we don't we don't want this podcast to be about the election. We want it to be no. about the after effects and what it looks like for an expat. And what we thought would be really really interesting was to have someone from the Middle East in the US and someone from the US in the Middle East and sort of talk about what their world looked like for that week. Um, but what I was going to say about the kids and the conversation with the kids is you know we were living in texas uh, when obama had his first inauguration like when he first came in and uh, i remember all of the children you know they, they get the week the time magazine you know the kids edition and they also watch cnn student news yes yeah yeah so and i remember obama was on the front and Um, people were, the thing that really struck me at that stage about being in America is um, even though you knew that there would have been people around you that weren't supporters, they were all incredibly respectful of the process. And um, there were people that even though I knew she wasn't a Democrat, she was so excited because her son had been chosen to, you know, drive one of the security cars in the inauguration, you know, to protect him and, um, you know, yeah. he was going to be playing his role. And so there was a lot of discussion about that. It was all very pleasant and uplifting and, and lovely. And um, whereas I've found that this, the discussion this time and my children are older, obviously, is um, it's just been nasty. Yeah, and what's important to remember is that, and, and I was just speaking to someone this morning who's a very strong supporter, Democratic supporter, she said, you know, not everyone that voted for Trump voted for him on the grounds of what he said. You know, yes. people voted for him based on economics and um, policies that they disagree with him about. And if you don't know someone who voted for him, you should talk, you should find someone and talk to them about why they voted for him. Because exactly not everyone that right. voted for him voted for him because of some of the things that he said. He said that to generate free publicity, which he totally did. <laughs> yes, yeah. You know, it's it's very easy to kind of shout people down and say, that's not right, you shouldn't do that, you shouldn't think that, when, you know, you're not living in that country and having to deal with the everyday and, and make that choice. 
Um, but you did speak to someone who is living in the country. I and, did. Um, yes. So I got to um, speak to Naveen. Naveen's originally from Egypt and she had actually, she married her husband in Egypt and then they moved to Qatar. And her husband is a surgeon and they were looking for ways for him to improve his career. He wanted uh, sort of more experience and to expand on what he was doing. And they were looking at either, obviously, Canada and the US. And Naveen is one of those amazing people that won a green card in the green card lottery. Lucky Naveen. I thought that was just the stuff that movies were made from. It was amazing. Real, real. (laughs) So Naveen is now living in Maryland, which she uh, explained as a blue state, and she had a good giggle about that. And she said it's the DMV area, which is Maryland, D.C. and Virginia. And it's a tri-state area, of which I had a huge revelation because i that's the first time I've had it explained to me that that's what the tri-state area means. <laughs> Three states, tri-state. Um, so I asked her about pre-Trump and what it was like moving to the States because uh, Naveen and her husband and her three teenage children, who all were uh, obviously elementary age back then, she's been there for six years, but they are now all teenagers. I was asking her about moving to America as an Arab Muslim, and she had a really interesting answer. Anyway, I thought, let's have a listen to Naveen. Actually, it was funny because while I was doing my master's degree, I was doing it online in Qatar. I, I, I did a uh, master's in business administration, and I did half of it online in Qatar. And when I moved to the U.S., I did the other half on campus. So it was very funny, the racial comments that, that people used from the professors. For example, uh, my uh, quantitative reasoning professor, for example, he wanted to tell me that I am too smart um, uh, for the thing that I am wearing on my head. And he actually kind of said it in a way. It's like, smart women like you do not wear this thing. <laughs> he was very comfortable. No, he w- it was okay because I liked him very much. And that's why he got very comfortable with me telling me this. So he told me up front, it's like smart women like you do not wear this. And I said, but you haven't, you haven't been to the Middle East to say something like that. And I understand why people are confused because to be honest and fair to everyone around us, we are confusing within ourselves. <laughs> like you will see this. No, it's very true. Like I put, I put myself in the shoes of People not from the Middle East seeing these diverse groups of people, like a woman from Saudi Arabia that is wearing the abaya, and once she's on the plane, she has it, like she has everything, like she takes it off, and she wears this makeup, and she wears very, very, like, you know, sexy clothing, and like, I'm in America now, Mm. so I'm not wearing this, and because I'm pressured in, in, in Saudi Arabia. Arabia and they are forcing me to wear this kind of uh, dress code so when I when I'm out of Saudi Arabia I'm, I'm gonna do whatever I want so these they see this kind of uh, this type of women and then they see another type of women like uh, what's her name what's her name Malala her um, name is Mal- the one yes, that was yes, shot in the head yes okay and this poor girl dealing with these idiots oh, you know and she got shot in the head for stating an opinion 
And then they see this another type of people like me that are, you know, they say that we're not oppressed. We are wearing this by choice. And, you know, like nobody can force us to do that. We're very strong women and uh, opinionated and we can do this and that. And they... So it's very confusing <laughs> when, yeah. when you see that. It's confusing. <laughs> and then you see another woman, like a Qatari woman, who, who is absolutely fine with the idea of, of uh, you know, like ha- her husband having a second and a, thir- and a third and a fourth wife. It's, it's, I'm not saying anything is right or wrong. I'm just saying that it's confusing. And, and there, there's an, another funny thing. In the supermarket, when I, it's like sometimes these people... When they see me, they automatically try to uh, speak with me slowly, oh. as if, if I don't understand the language. So they was like, <laughs> she would be like, "This is not pork." And I say, "Why are you doing this? I speak English very well, so you can." It's like, "Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you don't." It's like, "Why did you assume that because I'm wearing this thing on my head that I don't know how to speak English?" <laughs> you know, these are like <laughs> funny moments. <laughs> yep. And then you see this look when we when we enter as a family, and you see this look because my my daughter is covered up as well, like she wears the hijab as well. Right. So like you see you see them looking at us as if we're coming from, you know, like this this alien family. You see that, okay? And then. Once they start having a conversation with us and they realize that I have a master's degree and my husband is a surgeon and my daughter is like a principal on a roll student and, yeah. and, and as like, it changes and they start relaxing and we joke and then we have these, you know, like common movies and common songs that we love. It's like, guys, we're human beings just like you. <laughs> we're just human beings. <laughs> we just look different, but we're human beings. Once the campaign started and and the conversation changed with Trump and he he became you know the candidate, did you feel anything? Any? Did you yes. feel that? It... I, yes, I did. Um, I feel the heat in the street a little bit. It's not dramatic, but I feel it. Like people, usually people didn't stare at you much. Now they stare more, and they're kind of giving you the look that now you know now we're back. And uh, my daughter was telling me that it's becoming a trend now that the Trump supporters are are being um, more vocal and um, they say more things regarding uh, like some racial comments about Hispanics and Muslims and women and stuff like that. But uh, in the street so far, the, the problem is uh, with um, the teenager Trump supporters. Like this is what I feel that is kind of weird because you will find a person who's um, passing by with his car uh, this teenager and then he will do like a a finger sign or he would you know like do something crazy so this is what we're seeing in the streets nowadays do you feel that now i don't know if you were planning for any of your family to immigrate or um (laughs) if that was on the cards or how you feel about that now Actually, um, my, my mother-in-law and my father-in-law bo- both have interviews for green cards um, by the end of this month uh, and by the beginning of the, first, uh, the, coming, the upcoming month. Um, and my mom, we just applied for a green card for her too. So I'm not sure if they're going to be interested in coming after Trump 
Um, and a lot of friends that were planning to visit us, they were like, we're, we're going to hold the plans till we see what's going to happen because we don't know what this guy's up to. So we don't, we don't want any problems with that. On the other hand, which is, which is actually encouraging, you will see minorities are, uh, are being nice to each other more. Like I see a lot of uh, nice people, Hispanic nice people in the streets, for example. They would come to me and they would, like yesterday we were buying a gift for my husband and we were paying in Best Buy and we were sitting in front of the, uh, the cashier because the guy was taking so long for some reason. So this other guy, he was trying to pay in the same spot and we were, we were moving, me and my daughter. And he's like, no, 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 you don't have to move. Sit where you are. I can find my way like around and come and pay and don't worry about it. He was extra nice. So I felt that this, um, this uh, Trump movement made minorities stick together more. Like we are hurt, we are all hurt from the same campaign and everybody's trying to stick together. You know what I mean? How about your children? How do you think it's changed how they feel about America or not? Of course it did. It was shocking for them. It was shocking for all of us that Trump won. It was as if you're telling the vast majority of the people, it doesn't matter what your values are. It doesn't matter whether you work hard or not. It goes against everything that this country is teaching them. And like this country is teaching them not to be racist. And they see this person who's extremely racial and he won. And then the country is teaching them that don't be sexist. Men, are, and, women, uh, men and women are both equal. And then they see that this person is saying bad things about women and still winning. And then they, say, and then they teach them that you have, to be, um, uh, you have to pay your taxes because you have to pay your fair share because the country is giving you, in return, education and health care and blah, blah, blah. And then you see someone who's bragging about not paying his taxes. So they, they were very, we were all very confused. It's like, how come a person with, with all these problems will be the president at the end? It doesn't make any sense to any of us. So it's confusing and shocking and disappointing. <laughs> Wow. Wow. Just that is the closing. Uh, that's such a powerful closing. I mean, so eloquent and so compelling what she said there. I cried when um, she said it. Like we were, I had to apologize because she listening to her and I just started to cry. And it's exactly right, isn't it? All the stuff we tell our children not to do and not to be. And there it was. Yeah. Amazing. And, but just some of the other insights, I mean, that was just, you know, enough for me but some of the other insights which i found were really interesting so she's talking about like the differences in dress codes between the same culture in, mm. in effect mm. um so you know the saudi ladies on the plane and all that kind of stuff and and as she said when the guy said to her you know why are you wearing that you know people aren't exposed to all the variations and variants of it and i mean i'm not i i don't really understand i haven't lived in the middle east i haven't been exposed to the culture um but it, it's interesting to look at it from that point of view, the point of view that there are so many different ways to express that culture. 
Yeah. Or, I mean, it, it really, yeah. culture slash religion, I guess. Yeah, I think it's, no, it definitely is culture uh, probably as much as religion because if you were to ask a Kateri woman, she would tell you it's part of their culture um, and that they do it because it's part of their culture. And I know Sheikha Mayasa, who is the, she's the sister of the current Amir, the daughter of the previous one. But she, I remember going to a TED talk with her and she explained about wearing her abaya and how it was a cultural thing for her. It was just something that she held on, she held dearly because it was part of her culture. And I remember saying to a young Kateri woman uh, back in my early days here, because I, I really talk about it with people now because it's just become so normal, right? But I remember when I first yeah. moved here saying to a young, sort of very hip and groovy, cool Kateri woman who was into fashion, uh, sort of in my very small window into the world thought oh well obviously she'd want to get rid of the abaya you know because she loves fashion and she was like no I would be devastated if the abaya was to go because that's part of who we are Do you know so it's very um it is exactly like Naveen said um it, she said, we're confusing. I understand why you're confused because we're confusing as yes, a group. Yes, and I thought, that was, I thought that was really, that's another really clear thing that she said. You know, like, it's fine for you guys to be confused because look at we're all the different confused. ways we actually portray it. Yeah, we're yeah. confused, yeah. And the thing she was talking about in Saudi that maybe some people don't understand is it's a very common phenomenon to get on a plane in Saudi and once the plane clears Saudi airspace, you will see women go into the bathroom and take off their abayas and their head um, gear and they'll come back and they'll just be in jeans and a shirt and whatever. And so that is always a source of constant amazement for anyone who's flown to Saudi that you see these women, they're completely covered and then, you know, the plane literally, as it passes over the border, they go in and get changed. And it's probably the reverse as well, right? So they yes. come from outside and, yeah, yeah, on the way in, you get on the plane with all these people and then they look different when they're getting off. And yeah. each yeah. way, both yeah. ways, yeah. And I have, I've had the same here where, you know, because it works the same for men, people focus so much on women. I think they somehow forget that the men are wearing phobes and um, headwear as well. So, like, I remember Greg's boss um one of the first times I met him was in Houston and he was wearing a suit and you know he got on the plane in a suit and he got off the plane in the suit and then the next time I saw him he was completely in his thobe and I've only ever seen him in his thobe again since then because I've only ever seen him in Qatar but when he goes yeah. to London he dresses like a Londoner so um, and, you know, maybe one day that'll change over time too. Maybe they'll feel comfortable enough. It's only a matter of what they feel comfortable wearing too a lot. So yeah. it's definitely – but for other people, you know, I noticed that um, when Naveen talked about it, she did talk about it as a religious thing, that for her it was a religious choice. Yeah. And she said, you know, my husband would be disappointed because it's a religious Thing, but he definitely doesn't make her do anything she doesn't want to do. I, and the other thing that she said, just quickly, that 
comes to mind is about the minorities sticking together. So she Wasn't said that interesting. Know. Okay, so I also I spoke to um, Miss Hala, who is a Muslim American. Um, her family is originally from Egypt, and but she and her brothers and sisters were born in San Francisco, so California is home for her. Um, really interesting. She wanted to after the Egyptian Revolution. She wanted to go and experience Egypt, so she went and stayed there for about five months, but she said it wasn't for her, but she realized that she had to get out of America and experience more of the world because she felt she was in a bit of a bubble. And so she looked for an opportunity and she found a job in Qatar and she has been there for four and a half years. Oh, I can't wait to hear. As an American in the Middle East, I was shocked and concerned. Obviously, I have family all over the U.S., some parts that are more tolerant than others. And I was following Brexit earlier this year and the backlash that happened there, that was my biggest fear, that that was going to happen in the States. And so, unfortunately, that was the case. But luckily, none of my close family or friends have been um, in harm's way. But it's still worrisome that you're so far away and you can't do anything. You can't be part of the movement or whatnot that's happening after the results of the election. And what about locally? Have people have people in Qatar spoken to you about how they feel about it? Like, oh yeah, absolutely. Some people, majority, just think it's hilarious and unbelievable. Um, and others, just you know, we have the conversation of, well, where would things go from here? I even had friends that go, "Are you going to have any problems going back home?" And I'm like, "I shouldn't. I'm an American." But uh, there are some some that are concerned and some that you know, just find all this political situation entertaining. I think over the last year with the way the elections were being played, we, it was, a you know, people were more laughing at the whole situation. And I got a few comments of that's your democracy, you know, and uh, people were just laughing at the whole idea. I don't think people are that concerned with the relationships. I smoke, spoke with someone who's in the uh, diplomatic and political area in Qatar. And a lot of them believe that whatever either side said was said to get the votes. They don't believe either side. And they know the relationships were going to continue because they've, I guess, established that foundation or whatnot, that whoever takes over, you know, the relationship continues from a diplomatic and political standpoint. And that that was interesting uh, to know that there was no fear in that sense, at least from the people that I know in uh, in this part of the region. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of rhetoric during the election, particularly from one side. That Did that ever create any kind of conversations or concerns do you think amongst the people oh of course because people were like how is this person saying this when we're his biggest money maker i mean most of his investors are muslims or arab um he is supposed to be building this huge golf course in uh in dubai and uh one of the Saudi princes was the one that bailed him out when he was bankrupt the other year and so they were just bedazzled of uh, excuse us, we're the reason, you know, partly the reason you're rich. I mean, what's going on? And so I think people were just more baffled by that comment rather than offended. They would be surprised if something changes because a lot of them are confident with how the relationship has been between most of the Middle East and the United States, especially in the GCC region, because a lot of the investment, the larger military um, space that the U.S. has here is here in the GCC. 
So that they're not concerned with, they're just baffled by the, you know, the, these talks, these words that are coming out. And the GCC, for those of us who are less informed on things in the Gulf. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's the Gulf uh, Country Commission, okay. and it's basically the six countries, um, Kuwait, Saudi, Bahrain, Qatar, the UAE, uh, the United Arab Emirates, and Oman. Okay. Do you have concerns about going home at all? Like you don't, you don't feel like you talked about your family, some of them being in some areas that are more tolerant. Less I'm tolerant. going to be completely honest with you. I get randomly checked every time. Right. <laughs> so I just think it'll, you know, when I don't get randomly checked, I text my family like miracle happened. I just walked through. And so I think this time around, I'm just going to be randomly checked every single time. I mean, I'm Muslim. I wear the hijab, so I obviously stand out. Um, in a sense, I'm constantly questioned if I am a citizen while they're staring at my passport. And uh, so I, I just, I don't know what's going to happen, but I don't think I'm going to be told, oh, you can't come in. Like, that's obviously not going to happen to me. Ever since um, the tragic events of 9-11, um, the, a lot of profiling has happened and especially towards those who are deemed from the Muslim community. So I have friends that are Sikh and they go through the same things I go through because they're wearing a turban. And of course they, I think it's the lack of education and understanding that, you know, it's a, this weird broad brush generalization when it comes to profiling. And I think that's just going to continue if some kind of education doesn't go through basically. Okay, I thought it was really funny um, when she said that the majority of the people she spoke to just thought it was hilarious because I think, <laughs> I think it's really kind of funny that that has been a lot of, like, yes, there's been a lot of anger and people taken to the streets and people being so frustrated, but there's also been this sort of slapstick comedy of him and how funny, you know, like I know my kids have got um, a website where on your phone there's a picture of Trump and you can sort of wiggle your finger left, right and centre and his hair blows up and a trumpet goes off. <laughs> and it's I have like not seen like, that. We did not yeah. need that in our house. And it's almost like he's a point of ridicule. Do you know, he kind, he kind of goes yeah. in the same basket as the Kardashians and uh, any, I guess, other reality TV stars because that's <laughs> how they see him. Um, I also thought it was kind of interesting um, that people here asked her, are you going to have any problems going back home? And she was like, no, because I'm an American. But obviously people feel that because she has a hijab that, that that might be the case um but yes laugh out loud funny when she said about people getting confused with the turbans oh god yeah it is definitely a uh, point of education isn't it oh uh, and i thought that was so interesting that she's like nothing's really gonna happen because i'm always a random check like the yeah. quite pragmatic about it in a way, you know, since, since, like she said, since nine 11, that that's just been a thing for her. Whenever she goes through, she's a, a randomly checked person. I 
I can't wait to hear this one because Matt is the epitome. He has the Mexican wife. Uh, he's from Texas and he was an ex-Republican. Um, how did your chat go? It was amazing. I mean, I spoke to him for over half an hour and I could have spoken to him all night except it was like 10.30 where he was. Um, and I just had to be so brutal with the editing. But he, I just loved it. Lots of things he had to say. I mean, he had some amazing discussion points and really passionate views. Um, and I could have spoken to him all night. And I just, I apologize that it's only five, five or so minutes now. Um, but I think hopefully I've got some of the most important things that he said. Okay. So I asked Matt about speaking to locals in his office and what commentary did they have about the election? Uh, I, I think the one quote that I could give you that might be pertinent would, would be talking with, uh, one of the senior guys on our floor. Um, he and I are roughly the same age. He went to Texas A&M university and studied petroleum engineering, super smart guy. Um, so he came to him and he said, look, man, forget about the people stuff. I lived in your country for four years. I love you guys. I love barbecue. I love Tex-Mex. I love everything about my whole experience of living in Texas. He said, but on a government level, you know, this looks a bit odd. And I started laughing. I was like, you know, I almost feel like apologizing, but, you know, it's, it's not solely my fault. And he said, he said, I, well, I asked him, I said, what do you think? Uh, you know, what's your opinion on it? And he said, well, I'll give you my opinion, but let me give you the overall take on it here. You would probably hear a lot of people say, with Trump, at least you know you're going to get a guy that'll tell you to your face he doesn't like you. Whereas so many times politicians come back and they're all smile and waves. And the next thing you know, you've got drones flying overhead and dropping bombs on villages. So at least we know the guy doesn't like us. And then we have a starting point. Does that change your position? Like as an American in the, in living there, do you feel any, do you think people? No, 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 no. I think everybody knows that, that, you know, people, it's, it's the funniest thing because whenever you, we break it down, people are always just people. We're all interested in the same things, right? We all want our kids to have opportunities to, to learn, to have good experiences, potentially go on and pursue their dreams. We want to make sure everybody's fed, everybody's happy. You know, and I think that's the one thing that's universal um, that we all have in common. So no matter, once you start lifting interests up above your household, into your neighborhood, into your community, into your state, into your government, right? You have all these things that are vying for interest, but if you always just kind of break it back down and it, and you leave it to people, you know, we all want the same things in life. We could spend a lot more time probably listening to each other rather than pointing fingers and being bombastic. But, you know, I think there's a lot of, I, st I still think there's a lot of love in the world, even for people that on paper probably don't seem like they should be getting along, you know. Have you spoken to other expats, like locally, how they feel about it? Do they kind of all feel yeah, the same Yeah, fortunately, way? there's not many Americans. So with the Brits, <laughs> I'm getting a lot of jokes and they're having a lot of fun with it. You know, this is our Brexit moment. Yeah. <laughs> and Except I keep, I keep telling them that, uh, you know, ours is maybe, maybe like a case of, I don't know, chlamydia or something. We can clear it up a little penicillin. The Brits... They got herpes. Yeah. This is going to come back for years and years and years to come, right? This isn't going to be over in four years after a couple of treatments. Right. Have you lived away for a long time and do you have plans to go back to, to live? I mean, We've been yeah. out for seven years. Yep. And 
with the right opportunity, I would go home. I mean, I would go home in a heartbeat. I'd go home tomorrow if the right job came up, right? Okay. Especially as the kids kids get older, and you know, I'd be very interested in going back home. But I can I can tell you what it has affected me is it's limited the places that I would live. Like I grew up in Dallas Fort Worth, and I don't think I'd ever live there again. Um, I, I really, especially after being here, we've got fifty or sixty or maybe more. Uh, different nationalities in our company right now. And I, I, I did a international MBA program and, you know, almost everyone I know and hang out with speaks a couple languages. And I think if I were to go back home, go back to Texas, it would have to be back in Houston or it would be somewhere that had a good mix of people. Do you think this has affected your family at all? No, that you'll find this funny because my wife is Mexican. So you can imagine the laugh that came out of her mouth whenever she said Trump's running for president. And then she cracked up laughing when he said that they were sending, not sending their best, they're sending rapists and murderers, right? And, and to be fair, she's never claimed the U.S. is home, right? She still calls it your country and right. your people. Yeah, she's Mexican to the core. But um, she's a citizen, obviously, is she? Is she she's, yeah, she has her citizenship now. But yeah, she just, she thinks it's all kind of funny. Um, I can tell you that... I've had a lot of interesting conversations with my daughter. She's eight. Yeah. So how how have they gone? Well, try explaining to an eight-year-old who just got name-checked as being a rapist and a murderer, right? I've had to have that conversation with her. And not only that, whenever I was trying to explain to my aunt and uncle uh, the reasons why I didn't like the guy, you know, they went on this whole tirade, but I, it, it, it's, so, it's so obvious to me that they, they didn't even consider the fact that my daughter's half Mexican, right? Yeah. It was, a surpri- it was almost a surprise when I told her, my kid's half Mexican. She heard that. She knew what it meant, right? And she said, well, you know, um, I, I don't think you can expect an eight-year-old to be nuanced in their understanding of politics. And I said, no, but an eight-year-old knows what hate is. I loved Matt's chat. I um, I thought when he kicked off by saying we're all interested in the same thing, um, which yeah. is so true, and that's something that we all work out as expats very quickly, isn't it, that when you start travelling that you – I mean, some people you meet in this expat world, you feel like you were actually born on a different planet because when they, talk, yeah. they tell you stories about their upbringing, you know, I have a really good Indian friend here and she tells me about being taught how to run away from tigers as a child. <laughs> and, and, you know, it just makes you realise that basically – You lived a sheltered life. Yes, we lived a very sheltered life. She was telling me about how you zigzag when you run up hills, you know, to get away from these types of animals and you run a certain way to get rid of these types of animals and, you know, you've got to get high for these animals. But I guess what I'm saying is you can have all these chats with people where you go, oh, my God, we're so different. But then in the next breath, I am talking to her about the same concerns we have over our children, our families, you know, our relationships, the whole thing, and you go, we're exactly the same, you know, in what we want. And um, I thought it was hysterical when he 
said, this is our Brexit moment. I'm so glad you didn't cut that out of the five minutes. (laughs) I kind of, I was just tossing it up, but I was like, it's too good an analogy to sort of... Yes to, yes. to leave out. Yeah. <laughs> the chlamydia versus herpes. Yes. But I thought it was interesting about how it's affected where he would move back to, that there are now certain places in America he knows that he couldn't, he couldn't live. And, um, you know, he was talking about the company that he works for has 60 different nationalities and that everybody speaks a couple of languages and how now sort of moving to a small town in America, it doesn't appeal in the same way. But yeah. And I wonder whether that, that's irrespective of the election. I mean, yeah. that's just your, your global view once you've lived away yeah. and had that kind of exposure. Yeah. Oh, look, I think with this election, at the same time as I say that it's, it's making me try so hard to be a better listener and to not judge, right? Because I think I went through all the pre-election stuff with very fixed views that Trump was just an idiot and that he was a misogynist and that he was a narcissist. I had no nice things to say about him. So that whenever the whole idea of anyone voting for him, you know, I just didn't understand. Whereas, and maybe that's where we'll move on to sort of stuff that we've been doing this week. Because one of the things I was going to say is, you know, one of the podcasts, I, I went back, I guess I went back to the beginning, Nikki, and I went back to This American Life. And This American oh, Life... Which is the standard by which everything else is measured. That's right. So This American Life in the lead-up to the election, they had an episode about Hillary called Master of Her Domain. And it was fascinating for me because... I probably didn't question Hillary like people that ended up voting for Trump did, and I guess Democrats that ended up voting for Trump, in that, you know, I have a very good friend who voted for Trump, and when I asked her to explain it to me, she said it was Benghazi and it was the emails and oh the third oh oh this is the bizarre one the third the third reason she said was because he stayed with bill that she had no respect yes i can't tell you how many people said to me i lost all respect for her when she didn't divorce bill yes and i thought i thought that would have gained respect but hey whatever whatever floats your boat but the thing is i I've read up about the Benghazi stuff and I I probably still feel that that wasn't entirely the responsibility of Hillary and Hillary alone, but I get it if that worried you. Um, But the stuff with the emails, if you listen to this particular episode of This American Life, The Master of Her Domain, it, it, it goes into detail about the situation with those emails and if you're a non Hillary supporter, you'll walk away with one view. And if you're a Hillary supporter, you'll walk away with something completely different. It's a really good episode. So well worth listening to. But then they did the episode that came sort of two days after the election was called The Sun Comes Up. 
which of course was the phrase that Obama used the morning after the election, that it was the one thing he promised, that the sun would come up again. Did you Have you seen that um, video clip of Joe Biden standing behind him when he says it? I just, I, uh, that's on my list of things. Like Joe Biden memes are like made my week. This week. <laughs> so there's one where uh, this isn't a meme, this is the actual video and, um, mm. and Obama's giving the talk about, you know, the sun does come up and we will trust that everything will be okay going forward. And Joe Biden has done the whole cross yourself behind him, you know, the head to heart and both sides like he's, he's in church. So it, it was, it was, very, very funny. But anyway, the sun comes up really gave me an insight. And I think if there's anyone that's angry or, or just can't, can't find a way to see the other side, maybe have a go of having listened to that because it gave me a great understanding of everyday people who just were so desperate for change that they would vote for Trump. Okay, so they're, they're two of the podcasts that I've been listening to that are related to sort of after the election. And the other one I'm listening to, and I'm sorry, I'm going on and on and on, and I will shut up about podcasts, but I've had a particularly good podcast week this week, was Straight and Curly, which is uh, Kelly Exeter and Carly Jacobs and both have blogs of their own. But Straight and Curly is kind of all about goal setting and budget hacks and planning out your week and being one of those super organized people of which I am not. But I had a little self-revelation while I was listening to one of theirs as well because they were talking about um, being organized and how there's these terrible people who are not organized. Are you an organized person, Nikki? Um I'm in between. I'm, I'm a reformed, organized person. <laughs> what does that mean? It means I used to be really organized all the time and now I'm not. So I have spates where I go through where I can be organized. Like I'm like, oh, that's going to happen next week. I'll have to do X, Y, and Z. And then I plan out each day and calendar appointment. And then something happens that I haven't planned for at all. <laughs> yes. Something else. <laughs> that was one of the things, because I was saying about how they meet this di- these disorganized people, and I'm paraphrasing, but they were basically saying how people say, oh, I'm just not that, th- that I'm not that type of a person. Or, um, and then they find out, well, they, they don't actually keep a calendar. And it's like, well, you're not really trying to be that sort of a person and then they're saying people who run late all the time and they're late for everything and then you'll say to them have you ever missed a plane and they're like no no I haven't missed a plane but so they can obviously be on time for certain things that they choose to um but they're choosing not to be on time for others and it just made me have a bit of a revelation because I have found since chemo I am shocking at remembering things and I'm hoping it's it'll be something that comes back. But at the moment, it's really obvious that I'm terrible at remembering things. And But I also think I don't do myself any favours. I'm not writing things down. I'm not doing anything to counteract it. I'm just saying that it is what it is, but I'm not saying, okay, um, I'm going to... I'm going to write this down. I'm going to calendar everything. I'm not, I'm not doing that. <laughs> okay. So what have you been listening to? Okay. So what have I been listening to? I have been listening to Bowerville. Did you listen to Bowerville? It's, um, it's like Phoebe's fall. Oh. So it's a podcast about, um, 
three Aboriginal children in Australia from Bowerville, which is near Maxville, um, which is in northern New South Wales, um, that went missing and, and actually were murdered in 1990, I think. Um, and it's also done, I think, by the Australian, someone from the Australian, but who's different, like not the same people that did uh, Phoebe's Fall. Um, and it's it's a, just a, a series that, that looks into that. No one's actually been arrested. The same person has been tried for two of the murders and they were let off both, they were found not guilty both times. And it's just about the investigation and it's it's really interesting. It's, it's good and I enjoyed it. And so how many episodes are there? I want to say there's six or seven. And uh, so how, I, it, it, how old, how long ago are we talking? Well, the, it happened in 1990. Um, so it was 25 years ago when they did the podcast. So I guess the podcast was done last year. It's just really interesting because, it, it, yeah, it was done by The Australian. It, um, yeah, uh, 1990, and three kids went missing and all within a very short period of time, and they were all murdered. And two of the bodies were found, but the third body's never been found. And so they basically think they know who it is, but they just can't convict him? Well, yes and no. So in a very sad story, um, they were told when the, because it's, a, it's kind of a split town in terms of um, – um, Indigenous Australians and non-Indigenous Australians. And so when the people went to report their children missing, um, they were told in a couple of cases that they'd probably just gone walkabout. So it was two 16-year-old children. One was a girl and one was a boy. And the other one was a four-year-old girl oh. who went missing. Um, all on separate occasions or did on they... separate occasions but over quite a short period of time oh how awful okay well that sounds like a a good one to listen to not very uplifting <laughs> but, but but it's quite an interesting story and it, 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 it I think it brings to light a lot of issues in dealing with crimes that are committed against Indigenous people in Australia. And then what have you been watching? Watching, I followed your recommendation and watched The Crown. Done. Bang. Season one in the bag. Oh, my God. I've already, I've already <laughs> watched two episodes of it myself. Well, see, I'm nothing. I'm a joiner. I just join and then I'm done. <laughs> but I don't see uh, – my husband and I watch things separately mostly, so I can watch it. I don't have to watch it with him. I see. Are you watching it with your husband? Yes. Yes. See, there you go. So I don't have to wait for him. I can just watch it when I want. Do you know, I don't think I watch anything without my husband. Um, oh, what I a know. great marriage. Oh. <laughs> I probably laughed a little bit too heartily then. <laughs> um, no, I think probably what we have started watching is after dinner with the boys, Annabelle is not interested at all. She goes off and has her hour-long shower, her shower of power, as only a 14-year-old can. And, yes, to all the water conservationists out there, I am trying to get a handle on it, but she's 14 and, oh, my God. Um, but we watch with the boys Suits. Have you watched Suits? 
Um, I haven't. I've watched it in and out, but I know that it's it's one of those series that people say you've got to watch. It's really good. Yeah, I'm I'm watching it because Kelly Exeter, who I talked about on Straight and Curly, uh, went on a big you know binge watch through it, and um, yeah, so we've started and I I have to say it has aged fairly well because there's six seasons and we've just watched the pilot and the first couple of episodes and it doesn't it doesn't look and feel really old do you know sometimes you can go back to the first one and and they they've got mobile phones the size of bricks and you know they're making reference points that just don't work anymore it's definitely not the case as yet but it looks good and the boys love it the boys really really love it and it's just so good to find something that um is not all sex drugs and rock and roll that you can all watch together and a little fun fact it has uh prince harry's current um girlfriend in it yeah so i'm thinking there is a little bit of sex in it just saying oh really Uh (laughs) uh-oh I just also want to mention quickly the affair season three has just started. Ah, so you need to get back onto that. Who's in the affair? So the affair is I don't know the names of any of the actors, yeah, although they're all very familiar. But the affair is the one about showing the the events through different people's eyes. So the guy has these novelists and has the affair with, yes. Yes. I just realised we started that and never finished it. We started well, I remember like, you talking about yes. it on the podcast. Yes. And I remember starting it, really digging it, and just forgetting about it. I don't know. See? Chemo. Time to yeah. go back. <laughs> Schedule it in. Get Greg's diary out. Now tell Sorry. me the book for book group, Nikki, are you reading I the have been reading life? it. I have been reading The Disobedient Wife. Good, good, good. I think I'm 35% of the way through, according to my Kindle. Nicely done. It's good, isn't it? I'm only only at about 20% through, but I will be finishing it off this week so that we can talk about The Disobedient Wife next week. Um, And for those who are joining us for book group, please, yes, grab your Kindle copy of The Disobedient Wife and we will have the author uh to speak to as well and what about uh reading are you reading the book the disobedient wife yes i am but i'm i'm still i'm still cheating on it i you know i'm cheating Cheating on on it with big little lies and something else that someone else has just told me to read my lovely friend Anne Marie who's uh in Indonesia she has just suggested and I think we should do this for December because everyone's too busy to do book group I think but she said there's a great little short story by Hilary Mantel it's called Sorry to Disturb and it's about an expat woman in the Middle East um, and it's supposedly only about 40 pages she's written. It's just wonderful. And it's in a book of short stories called The Assassination of Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> <laughs> you, you could write your own book, Kirsty, about could. being an expat what woman in the Middle East. What, a, what, a, what an interesting idea, Nikki. <laughs> Have you ever thought about that, writing a book? <laughs> What I have thought about doing is writing an expat newsletter, which is um, what I'm yes. trying to get done right now. 
um, which means I've been learning all sorts of things about making explainer videos. The explainer video is the bane of my existence at the moment. Once the explainer video is done, then I can put You'll it on. You'll be able to explain it to us. Yes, and I'll be able to put it on the website and launch the website. But, of course, until that happens, and, of course, our four little bonus reports that we're going to get done. Um, so, yes, but that is all happening, and hopefully I'll be able to talk about that more in the next week or two. Very exciting. Okay. All right, Nikki, well, um, it's probably time to head off, but um, I will speak to you next week. Okay, speak to you then.